1: Welcome to another episode of Waggon Wheel. I'm Jared Kimber. I'm going to be taking your questions. uh, Well, I'll be taking your questions if you've already put them out to me on Patreon, which you can do by subscribing to the Patreon and uh, getting the appropriate level that you need to be on. Uh, Or I'll be getting your questions if you put them in the super chats as well, which is the other way to do it inside the YouTube channel as we go live. Um, But if not, you can put any questions up. And if I uh, have the chance, I will certainly get to them, but I'll start with the Patreon. Uh, just a reminder uh, to subscribe and like and press the bell icon, all those things for the Jared Kibber YouTube. Uh, no, this is the Jared Kibber YouTube. What is it? The Jared Kibber podcast uh, channel on YouTube. Uh, eventually, all these lives will go over there. So just better to be there and prepared rather than get caught unawares and go, oh, we stopped doing lives. He hasn't stopped doing lives. He will never stop doing lives. He is alive. Uh, but thank you to everyone. Uh, we've got Kyle, Rom, Oren, all things uh, cinema, Keshuv, Patam, uh, Dex, quite a few people in the chat already tonight. So thank you very much to all of them. But let us get to our Patreon questions. Aditya says, where would you rate Cummins in the pantheon of Australian pace bowlers At this point in his career, he has very similar numbers to McGrath. Do you think he's on par with McGrath, Lily, Limmel or is he not higher than them? The interesting thing about Cummins is he's obviously fantastic. Like no one's gonna, he, he's going to end up very much top tier. But he did miss out on quite a bit of his career at the start when he probably would have struggled a little bit more. Um, and then when he restarted his career it was basically the start of the pace pandemic. I think we'll know a lot about Cummins over the next four or five years, uh, which hopefully he continues to bowl in, because we'll know. Probably as Batters start to overcome the wobble ball more and more, you will see that uh, the bowling averages go up, and we'll see what his does. Right? If it goes up to twenty six or twenty seven over the next five years, uh, he's probably not quite in that upper upper echelon, uh, which is I don't know, maybe McGrath on his own. Uh, but, but you know, he's probably already done enough to be with Lily and uh, Linwell. I would have thought, from that perspective, I think, and I'd have to do a deeper dive here, but I would assume that. McGrath is a step above uh, the other guys. I, I remember d- I do remember having a look and in our rec- in our database Cummins had the best record against top order players outside of McGrath and I think that was in the world I don't think that was just Australia either. So, you know, he's very very high up any list that you care to have him on. Um but we need to see more of it we need to see him at this level for a long period of time i think that's the difference with mcgraw right uh, different batters different conditions mcgraw was still really good even when the pitches got really good around the world uh, he was you know fantastic in asia not the cummins hasn't been but again you know uh, got to points where people were almost not playing shots off mcgraw because there was nothing else you could do cummins is different because also he doesn't allow you to leave those balls but I do think he's fantastic. I think the ability to bowl you know, short and fast when he needs to, the ability to be that accurate at that pace, the wobble ball is obviously brilliant, but he can also swing the ball in both directions when he needs to as well. doesn't use it as much anymore, but we have seen at times him bring that back out. That's just so many different weapons that you can turn to at any one point. Incredible ball. Jake says, next one we is Ashes in Australia. Where do they go from here? Is an expansion to two or even three tests viable? Could they take a test to one of uh, the bigger rounds? Um, I don't know that women's cricket in Australia is ready to, you know, be in a huge environment. I'm trying to think of, um, yeah, I think it would be difficult, but there are probably places where you could play it where it would be more more successful. I don't see any reason why there can't be multiple tests other than cost, and I think. The way that women's cricket is now making money, I think that's probably not, especially in Australia and England, and probably India, I don't think that really holds weight anymore. L- like, a, a perfect example of this is the majority of the first class games in the world, well, certainly in Australia and England, are filmed, right? And have proper production crews and everything else. And they are not going to make any money off the gate that English ones will make a little bit, but certainly not a lot. Women's test matches would make more than most county games would, uh, you know, o- over, a, yeah, would just make more than most county games would, not to mention merchandise, everything else that goes around with it. So, how do you say that you can do a four day first class game, but you can't do a women's test match? No, the, the mathematics don't work there. But I don't know, I think we did this maybe with me and Bayram the other day. It's not like it feels like that we're moving towards more women's tests. If anything, it's kind of still a surprise that they exist at this point. Sandip says, is there any current or past bowler whose run-up is as fast as Mark Woods? Or is his running speed the main reason for how fast he bowls? No, it's not the main reason for how fast he bowls. You could, you know, Usain Bolt is the quickest bowler in the world, right? So um, I think Mark Wood certainly has a very fast run-up. Jeff Thompson didn't have a particularly fast run-up. I wouldn't say that Sean Tate did. I think Brett Lees was a little bit faster. Show-ups was obviously very fast. Um, Arnwick Norkiz is fast. I'm not sure his express run-up. So, so no, I don't think it's necessarily that. But lots, there are lots of different things that matter. If you look at Jeff Thompson or Sean Tate, there's almost more like a javelin thrower, the way that those two guys come in. Uh, you know, more of that sort of side-on slinging st- style. You put Malinger in that as well. Although he was slingy in a slightly different way. But again, running in maybe didn't help those guys as much. Uh, is there any current or past bowler who's run up as fast, as fast as Mark Woods? That's a really good question, actually. I would have thought Show Abs was up there. Um I'm trying to think of someone else. I'm trying to think of how quick was a was. I'm not sure his was that quick, but he seemed to take very maybe because he took short steps. Um yeah, I'm not getting anyone else off the top of my head that's coming in. But no, uh, you need fast twitch muscle fiber. It's about obviously locking your front leg. Uh, it's about your elasticity. You know, there's many different things to go into fast bowling, uh, certainly not just the run. Otherwise, the run would just run up as quick as they could and bowl really fast, and that doesn't usually work for people. Christopher says, why has Chris Woggs never been able to replicate anywhere near the same level of form away from home? He had a tour of South Africa early on where I reckon Johnny Bairstow dropped a bunch of catches off him from there he, he seemed to lose his confidence overseas i i don't think wokes is alone in being a left-arm left-arm uh, an english seamer who struggles when he goes away from england i think it's a fairly common trope if you go all the way through the history of cricket why he does it specifically i'm not sure because he is a little bit faster than some of those other guys he obviously gives them batting as well i feel like i've done a piece on this but i'm not sure there is a Perfect answer to why that is. I remember, it might have been myself or Crickfish, someone looked it up, and I think we thought he bowled slightly more defensive when he was away from home than he did at home. And whether that was because when he first went away from home, he struggled, whether it's just because the ball doesn't swing as much, so he naturally brings it back a little bit, and that probably takes away from his effectiveness. I don't know. Um, but I do think at this stage, you'd have to say that even if he had a prolonged period of playing away from home I, I struggle to see how he would average under 30 away from home over like a two or three year period at this point that doesn't mean that his numbers are fair because i just don't think you can be as talented as him and have those numbers and for them to be completely fair but that doesn't mean that he's ever going to earn them back so let's say he averaged 28 away from home over the next couple of years he's probably still averaging like high 30s overall and there's still a chance he'll get dropped at the first sign of weakness. So. I'm not sure I have anything directly. Obviously, you know, he is a very English conditions bowler. He's a very, very traditional bowler in that you see the ball, you know, in his hand as he comes in. Everything he's doing is right there in front of you. There's, it's not like Josh tongue He's not tall like Ollie, well, he doesn't have the massively high release like Ollie Robinson. He's fast, but he's not super fast. Um But it's weird because... There are some things about him that I think should transfer better overseas than, say, Stuart Broad has. Although Stuart Broad does have the height. But for Wokes, it just nothing ever seems to translate. It, it, it's a really interesting one. I do feel like I've written about this before, Christopher, but I'm not sure there's an answer, if we're being honest. Roger says, over the last few years, we know bowlers and keepers are being picked on their better batting ability than competitors. Best over folks, talk good. Uh, Judasia and Wokes to some extent, with the impact we have seen of losing main spinners, Leech and Lion, how long before aspiring top order test batters will start working more on their spin and add skills um, and another string to their bow to be selected? Well, look, plays have always been picked because of all-round skill, right? That's not, there's nothing new about that. We actually had more all rounders in the early days of test cricket than we probably have now, partly because I think as cricket gets more professional, you know, it's harder to be very good in both unless you're, you know, Jadeja or Stokes or hold a freak athlete. I think it's a very, very unlikely thing for, you know, you to be that kind of player. Having said all that, that is part of the reason why your idea of just having batters, um, working on their bowling doesn't particularly work. If you're like Joe Root and you have a little bit of bowling talent, or you have a unique way of bowling. So in Joe Root's case, it's bowling very, very fast off spin. right? If you have that ability, then there's no problem with you, you working on it. But the reason that most batters don't bowl that much is because they're not very good at bowling, right? It's not a particularly easy thing to do. And I do think that the skills are separating themselves even more. The other thing I would say is that it's not just a, batters don't bowl as much in the nets and work on their craft as much it's also the teams basically worked out that having a bowler averages 45 with the ball as your fifth bowler doesn't particularly help you that much maybe you'd be able to get a couple of cheaper overs maybe you'd be able to get a point where you know joe root has some good matchups towards the end of games those sorts of things but i'm not sure outside of resting your bowlers what those what that does and now that bowlers are a lot fitter and we look after them a lot better most teams would prefer to use their frontliners. Uh, so, so, yeah, I don't think it's that, I don't think it's really that easy. The, the reason most batters don't poll is because they're not particularly good at it. And so, if you look at, you know, Michael Bevan or Simon Kadic or um, Tendulka, Joe Root, Carl Hooper, these sorts of players, they're flawed, right? And over a long period of time, if they had to bowl consistently as frontline bowlers, they would be exposed. What you can do is use them a little bit, but all of those guys I, I said there have a unique skill or a really a skill that can always help them, or or a way of thinking about bowling that always helps them. In Tendulkar and Root's case, not everyone's going to have that, and it's not particularly an easy thing to do. Most batters could work, you know, work on sort of rolling out some off spin if you needed it to be, but there's a lot of work that would need it to, uh, that would be needed for them to actually be much better. Um, at the craft said that they could do it consistently enough that it would make a massive difference at selection and i think that's essentially what the problem is there neuron says kawaja warner karuna ratney Elgar, elga all 35 years or older once they retire how difficult will it be for teams to find good opening batters in this era also how funny it would be that new zealand have the best openers in the world nathan and conway it's pretty funny yeah um yeah, for those who don't know, New Zealand has this haunted history of opening batters. They've really, really struggled over the entire life of their cricket. And it is quite funny that they've got, and even backups like, you know, they probably use Mitchell, but obviously Will Young is another guy. You know, they, they suddenly have all these openers when no one else does. Um, I don't, I mean, uh, Sri Lanka is not particularly well known for opening batters. So Karuna Ratner is going to be hard to replace. Elga, uh, I mean, they're going through a batting crisis in South Africa at the moment. doesn't, you know, if, if you picked up, if you took Bavuma out of that side, I don't, don't know how they would replace him at the moment. And tons of people don't even think he should be in the team. Sharma in India, I don't, I mean, Sharma's been fantastic, but he's hardly played any games. Um, you know, really a small sample size there. And there are other Indian talented players coming through. Warner and Khawaja, the problem with them is that they're both around the same age. I would hope that from an Australian point of view that Khawaja wants to play for a good couple more years just because he hasn't cashed in as much as everyone else, but maybe he doesn't. Maybe he's like, I had my peak, it was really good, and I'm going to struggle from here on in. Um, Warner obviously is retiring. So, yeah, there's quite a few players there. But, um, you know, I think that's a big problem for Australia, Sri Lanka, and South Africa, not as worried about India but the truth is we haven't had a lot of good bad uh, openness for a long time. You know, we had the sort of Brathwaite-Sibley era, right, where um, that job was sort of given to anyone. But obviously Pakistan, you know, now have some players up at the top. Um, in Bangladesh um, is more interesting, of course. Uh, but, yeah, I think that, that those sorts of players are moving on. And it's, you know, it's Elgar hasn't made any runs for a while. Warren has been in a bit of a funk. Um so it's not like every player that you've listed there is also informed, Niran. Your also says we'll be watching the uh, uh, Pakistan- Sri Lanka Test series. Your predictions? Any players you uh, think will do well and be tested? Look, I haven't even like looked at the um, what is it? The West Indies India, which is tomorrow. Um, is that right? West Indies India. Yeah, that's how bad I am. Uh, so no, I haven't. There would certainly won't be any predictions. Let me have a look. So. I can tell you straight away from the date, 16th to the 20th. So that is going to clash with India, West Indies, which is in a better time zone for me. So West Indies generally wins my time zone more. Uh, And then 24 to 28, I'm assuming that's clashing with the Ashes and the next India-West Indies thing. So I wouldn't think I'd see a lot of um, Sri Lanka-Pakistan. But if it's interesting, you know, I'll get sucked into it because I get sucked into everything. (laughs) Uh, Philip says, more left arm paces, usually, ma- sorry, more male left arm paces, uh, usually able to bowl in swing, but less able to do outswing swing to right and butter. Is it the same for the women's game? We have so few, Phillip, uh, left arm paces in the women's game that it, it's, it's hard to tell. I would say that based on what I've seen so far, I've certainly seen some left arm paces in the women's game who swing the ball back in. I can't think of too many off the top of my head who consistently moved the ball away in the air. Anyway, certainly nothing. I'm scanning my notes, but I can't think of anything in my notes that would suggest that Philip, like, so we'd have to see a lot more, but there just isn't a lot of left arm pace in the women's game. There aren't a lot of left-handed batters either. Left arm finger spin's kind of the only thing that we've seen a lot from in the women's game so far. So we're a long way away from being able to answer that. But it's, I think, it's a very, very interesting question because we know that we know. Well, I think we know that the natural way of swinging the ball is is for a right arm bowler away from a right hander, from a left arm bowler into a right hander. We don't feel as confident with that with women as we do with men and so if we do have a lot of women left on seamers will we get some that will swing them away i still think that's a really good skill Uh, jack Chantry did it obviously and had a good first class career before becoming an umpire he did it at a very very slow pace sorry jack if you're listening but (laughs) an extremely slow pace um it would be interesting to see someone who could do it consistently at a faster pace um and also, because it's, it would be something different for left-handers to play. So I, I do think that would be interesting if some of the women um, could do that. Will says, do you think England would have won up Lords if Wokes plays uh, in place of Anderson? His batting is overrated by many in England, but he's a, uh, but he's a lot better than Jimmy, and they didn't have many to chase down. <sighs> the, the, if you're just looking for production, then he probably makes enough runs to make it handy in that particular game. But when you're taking Jimmy Anderson out, you, even though you, you're not taking a lot of wickets, the, the sort of the butterfly effect of that is kind of impossible to answer, right? Like it's it's one of the reasons why selection conversations are frustrating. I believe the wrong word, but ultimately, the game would have played differently had Wokes been there, and so because of that, the position that you're talking about him being in may not have exa- existed. Now, you might argue that one of the things is he would have taken wickets and England would have been in a better position and everything else. I don't think they were going to drop Anderson after one test anyway. So I understand your point of this question, but I don't necessarily think that I can give you the, the greatest answer um, because I, I don't think, you know, the way my brain works or doesn't work or misfires, whatever that may be, has trouble answering that. But I do understand your, your general point. Let us take a break and then... He says as he clicks away from all the ads. Um, Let us take a break here. And then after the break, we'll clean up uh, the rest of the questions on Patreon. And then we'll see if there's any super chats or anything else in the room. You're listening to Jared Kimber. This is Wagon Wheel.
0: NFL Sunday Ticket is now on YouTube and YouTube TV, which means that you can stay close to your team, even if you don't live in their town. Like, maybe you're a Raven who married a Seahawk who got a job in the land of the Falcons. With NFL Sunday Ticket, you can watch your team's out-of-market Sunday afternoon games, no matter where you live, because you shouldn't have to change teams, even if you change towns. NFL Sunday Ticket, now on YouTube and YouTube TV. Go to youtube.com slash presale to get $50 off. Terms and embargoes apply. Offer ends 919.
1: No refund. Subscription auto-renews. All right. Welcome back. Oh, we still got Will's questions. That's... Wait, did I click on the right one? You, we'll never know. Satchmo says, "Did the Headingley test expose some weaknesses in Cummins' captaincy, especially letting England's last three wickets add ninety-five in the first innings?" Well, Stokes was dropped twice. It, it's funny how we look at these things because I remember Stokes. Was it Stokes? Oh, I can't remember. I think it was someone who was tweeting me during one of the other tests, saying that Stokes' captaincy was bad. Or maybe it was Cummins again. Actually, it might have been Cummins again. And they and they were saying, you know, uh, Australia should have done this, Australia should have done that, and whatever it was. I said, well, they they got three chances. They just put them all down, or didn't catch them, or whatever game that was that had happened. These things happen. And I think that if Stokes holds out early on in that chase, uh, there was an issue there. They clearly weren't really ready for Mark Wood's batting, which is a little bit odd, but sometimes happens with the tailender. They they just assume they could bowl short to him. I actually think the best place to bowl Mark Wood is probably just on a length and he'll hit one straight up in the air, two or three shots in teams. Don't necessarily try that as much though. You know, maybe a surprise short ball with a bunch of length balls and the surprise Yorker is better than just short ball, short ball, short ball and occasional Yorker to him. Um, but they did have Stokes dropped a couple of times off Murphy uh, and also Stokes is very good in that situation and it didn't take that it wasn't it was a ground that once you got going you could score very quickly and we saw kind of everyone do that in fits and spurts even if it wasn't easy to stay on top of the balls the whole time um but look Cummins is a defensive captain I think in general he's more conservative I'm not sure that's directly I'm not sure that's directly the reason that England got away in that point but I do think that forget Weaknesses in his captaincy. I think there was a couple of times where they just got things wrong uh, that if they looked at again, they'd probably do differently. But that's the case with kind of every captain in any game, if they're being honest. Gary says it's a time for a Euro Cup. Uh, it could be played over a week in England or uh, with five or six teams. Look, it would be great, Gary. Uh, you know there was the, I want to say it's a North Sea Oil. I've got to look that up, but I, I think that's what they were going to call it. North Sea Oil, which was going to be Scotland, Netherlands, Ireland playing together. Then you had the Euro. Slam, I think it was called the Euro Slam. I should know that. I, you know, actually worked for it, um, but I can't remember the full name of it. Um, so the, the, you know, the, the European sides have talked about this before. I don't see how it particularly helps England at the moment, or why they'd be interested in it. I would sell it to England on the basis of if you can actually have if, if Irish cricket, Scottish cricket, and and Dutch cricket gets better, you have the ability to play. In your own time zone, and still, you know, still play, placate your sponsors and everything else, without you having to go too far away, maybe cheaper. Even if they just get to the point where they're really good, and you can send weakened sides over um, to play against them, I think that's a really, really interesting way of, of looking at it for them. So I'd probably sell it on that. If European cricket is stronger, that will actually mean more money for England in the future, and probably better thing. But it would be a hard sell to a cricket board like England at the moment, and. Based on my chance with the ECB, I just don't think they'd be interested. Aditya says, "Not saying he'll get picked, but are there any rules preventing Spencer Johnson playing at Old Trafford, uh, uh, playing the Old Trafford Test for Australia, and then the T20 World Cup qualifies for Italy from 24th onwards?" Yes, so you can play for a associate nation, and I haven't checked this in a while, so someone might be in the comments saying I've got it slightly wrong. But the last time I checked, you can play for associate nation. And then the next day, you could play for a full member nation. There are other stipulations, different teams and everything, but I think the basic rule allows that. But once you played for a full member nation, you can't go back to an associate nation for a period of time. It used to be two years. I don't know if that's still the case. So you could do it the other way around, where he could play for in the World Cup qualifiers and then play a test for Australia after, but not in that way. I do not think that Spencer Johnson is about to get picked for Australia, though, but it's an interesting uh, question. Ian says... When you get a regular slip cordons, first, second, and fourth, how much analysis goes into the strategy and how much is just gut feeling at the time? I suppose now, and I'm, uh, this is more of a guess than anything else, I suppose now that we might, through CrickViz, although we don't track the ball, it's possible through CrickViz, uh, Hawkeye data I should say, so not CrickViz directly, but anyone who has the Hawkeye data, that you... Could have a look at the pace of the pitch, which might tell you what kind of angles the ball go off on. But that's only, you would then have to manually map the angle that the ball went off on on the field to say you know on this kind of a paced pitch the edges are going to go wider and on this one it's going to go finer. I don't think we have the technology to do that, but you could do that with a little bit of video analysis too if you trusted your analyst. I would say mostly it's the players reading the pitch right and them saying these edges are going to come a little bit slower, so. Um, and that means they'll probably be slightly thicker edges, which means we should move our cordon around a little bit more, squarer, and, and you know, cover more ground. Uh, and the ball being a little bit slower allows us to dive a little bit more um, and all those sorts of things. That would be my guess. Whether that is in any way true or not, I don't know. Um, so I would say it's, it's gut feeling, and then perhaps there's some analysis at some stage. Patrick says, if test cricket becomes obsolete, as many are predicting, do you think Australia continues to watch cricket? Yeah, I I think I don't look, obviously it's the most important format of the game. I don't think test cricket's going to go obsolete. The the best way of looking at this, and and I did a podcast with Bayron the other day and I forgot about this, but I really wanted to add it when we're talking about what the ashes is. I'm not a rugby union fan, so I don't want to get this completely wrong, but the lions tours, which is what the British lions, I think they're called. I, Sorry, I know nothing about rugby. That is a cultural rugby event. There was probably a time when that was the best thing in the world, right? When them playing against South Africa, Australia or New Zealand was the absolute pinnacle of the sport. The World Cup is obviously the pinnacle of the sport now, and there's some great leagues around the world and all these different things. But the Lions Tour still exists. And the reason the Lions Tour still exists is because it makes a lot of money and people keep going to it. I find it very hard to believe that ashes, for instance, will die off. But I also don't think that Australia is like a test-only country. For instance, that was where the one-day revolution starts, right? England England played one-day cricket and, and T20 cricket both, you know, to get crowds into the ground. So Australia did it, um, you know, in this dynamic way that really changed white ball, well, invented white ball cricket, really, but changed white ball cricket all the way around the world. So to think that Australia doesn't have a heritage there as well. There's no doubt that one-day cricket specifically and T20 internationals are maybe not as important. But I find it hard to believe that there's no test cricket and no one's interested in cricket anymore in a country that has shown plenty of interest in cricket over a long time. Just don't see Australia as a one-format culture. Not to say it wouldn't change, Patrick, because it might massively change, but it could change in other countries as well. I don't think it's just an Australian thing there. Ben says, La starts starting to become more normal. Now he's playing fewer games at home and actually being caught. Uh... Yeah, he's also going through a funk, right? I don't think it's just traveling away. Um, but uh, if all test players played exactly 50% of their games at home, who would have the best record? Well, Bradman would have the best record. Yeah, Bradman averages more away from home than he does at home. Of course, that, unfortunately for him, was just England. But um, uh, the best batting records away from home, off the top of my head, I, I can't remember who's first. It's Barrington's first and Hammond's second. I want to say one of them averages 69. Yeah, Barrington averages 69. So I had it on my screen. I don't know why I was trying to remember it. Uh, And Hammond averages 66. I think in Hammond's case, uh, if I'm not, if I'm without having to look it up, that's also averaging 500 in New Zealand. So you'd have to go through his record, you know, a little bit uh, closer. Um, But yeah, certainly those are the two that average over sixty. Uh, Hobbs averaged 59, Border 56 and a half away from home. Smith is 56 as well. Um, and there's a bunch of really good players around 55. So, yeah, I, I, I suppose Barrington, Hobbs, Smith, when you factor in their um, averages altogether. And if you want to put Hammond in there as well, that's also more than fine. Will says, what do you make of the New York Times and LA Times moving away from having uh, traditional sports desk pages? As a Brit, it's just unfathomable to me that a newspaper wouldn't have a fully integrated sports desk uh, that took up a significant part of the newspaper. I think that's just a sign of the Times. Well, New York Times does have sports, right? Like they have the athletic. They probably have more sports coverage than any newspaper in the world. But I think what is happening is, uh, I, I don't think newspapers cover cricket particularly well. I would assume I don't even have to assume. They also don't cover other sports very well. And the reason is the majority of sports coverage that is done by a newspaper is generalist. It's for casual fans and hardcore sports fans usually don't get enough. That that's why people like me exist, right? I think America is a very good example of that as a as a sport reading culture. So for instance, the you know I follow the Denver Nuggets. They have uh, Mike Singer who writes for the Denver Post. Very good newsbreaker, writes a few stories. Absolutely great. But if I really want to know what's happening on the court, if I really want breakdowns of the sport, I have to go to the specialists who write for um, a a more specific basketball audience. That's what American sports has done over a long period of time. I actually think in some ways, you know, the the newspaper stuff of cricket has held it back. I think we've been lucky enough that because we have a national um, sport, Traditionally, anyway, then what you have then is at least, you know, one or two cricket writers who have the ability to specialize in your team. Probably meant that newspaper coverage of sports was a little bit different. However, as the IPL comes in, like who's covering which newspaper is covering the IPL correctly, right? And if you're in Kolkata, do you want stories on all the other teams? And so that's why the newspaper model doesn't particularly work for actual fans of the sport, which is why. New York times probably bought the athletic. Right. Uh, and it, and I think it's why those sorts of things are becoming bigger and bigger, you know, locked on network, um, uh, SB nation, those sorts of things that are specifically fan led, uh, not not fan led, specifically content for f- mega fans of a team makes a lot more sense to me than a newspaper writer covering it and trying to explain, w- you know, what a trade exception is. Whereas most hardcore NBA fans will know what that is. So it, uh, you know, you, you're talking to the person who came up with 99.94. And the reason I did was I don't think most cricket teams are covered correctly in the world. And that was how, where that sort of idea came from, which I already see cricket going in that direction as well. So I do understand that newspapers, I mean, it's, I, I read some articles in newspapers and obviously the news breaking is great. There are some writers I really like and there are some writers who write really interesting things. But by and large, the reason I became a cricket writer is because I didn't like newspaper cricket writing. So I can certainly understand why a, a generation beneath me are also looking at it a similar way. Will says, cricket is unusual and not having much to do with sports betting in England. Uh, is that a self-denying ordinance from Sky ECB, or are there international rules in place to stop them? I get that shirt stand sponsors might affect Indian rights, but surely that wouldn't stop them from running adverts during breaks. Uh, or the Sky sponsorship uh, being a betting firm, yeah, I'm I'm really interested in that. So TalkSport do coverage on cricket, obviously, but they don't do England games. And TalkSport occasionally have betting sponsors. Uh, they usually have a, like a betting partner, maybe more than a betting sponsor. But before games, quite quite often there'll be you know a two or three minute thing there. So I don't think there's anything. Well, I know there's nothing legal against it. I can I have a betting sponsor for the, uh, for the Ashes as well um, on my Twitter account. So. It's tricky, obviously, all these things. I do think there is certainly a. There's certainly been a sky haven't run to the betting companies in that particular way. I don't. I mean, the ECB working with betting companies. I don't know how many people know this, but most cricket boards work with betting companies, legal betting companies, all the time. Partly they sell their um, rights to them, their betting rights to them, which is a thing I don't truly understand, but I've heard people in cricket talk about it enough. I know it's a thing. But also, they're trying to get data back off these betting companies for you know match fixing and all these different things that are happening. So they have to have partnerships with them. So the ECB would have a conversation with companies who are involved with betting, whether they are the bookies directly themselves, which in some cases it is. Quite often now, it's these other companies who are intermediary companies who basically... They scan all the betting markets to look for irregularities to feed it back to cricket boards and and other and to bettors as well. Some high-end bettors want to know that information as well. Um, so, yeah, I, I don't really understand it. I think I've talked about this before. It's really interesting to me following American sport where they never, ever mentioned betting because it was illegal. And then it was like, now they mention it in every second sentence. It's such a big change. Um, but, yeah. Vivek says... If you were in the Australian camp, would you consider playing Glenn Maxwell in place of Murphy in the fourth test? Risky since his bowling can be taken apart by Baz bowlers, but rewarding if he can come off like March did in this game. Uh, I'm trying to think of the lineup that you would have. So, how, who do you, who does he come in for in that in that case? He comes in for Murphy, but that means that you've got well. Okay, so if he comes in for Murphy directly, it means you've got Cummins and Stark as your frontline bowlers. You then have Green and Marsh, let's assume that you're going to have those, Um, and Maxwell. So you have three fifth bowlers, essentially, as your third bowler. That's a terrible idea against basketball. Let's flip it slightly further than that. Let's say that they drop Marsh, which doesn't look like they're going to do, but let's say they drop Marsh, and Green comes in. Then you have Maxwell coming in for Murphy and Hazelwood coming in for um, Boland, right? So you've got now three frontline bowlers, Green, yeah. Green's just coming off a hamstring injury, or let's say Marsh is bowling. Marsh gets injured a lot. You're asking a lot of them if Maxwell doesn't work. In this last test, it didn't matter because Murphy and Alley were never going to bowl particularly that much in this test match. Old Trafford, we expect both of them to bowl a lot more. Having a part-timer in, it's not for me. I didn't think Murphy bowled particularly well in this test. I, I thought he actually bowled quite well at times in the first innings. I thought he bowled quite poorly in the second innings. I was a little bit more worried about that. The situation got to him a little bit, but uh, I'm not particularly worried about that, you know, uh, because the conditions didn't favor him or Moinelli at times. Ellie got a couple of wickets that were, you know, very, very lucky. Um, it wasn't a pitch particularly set up for spin or anything like that, but I can't see how Maxwell helps really. I mean, okay, you've got another batting option. I love Maxi. Um, you know he's a legend, and I think my one of my sons has got his book upstairs. Um, But yeah, you know, I mean, we saw what happened to Bracewell when he played against England, and Bracewell is a much better spinner than Maxwell. I just don't think it's a smart bet to be able to do that. Anyway, let us have another break, and then after this break, we will uh, get to the rest of the questions in the where Where am I going? I will get to the rest of the questions in the chat. And you're listening to Wagon Wheel with Jared Kimber. All right, let us get to the questions. And a big thanks again to everyone on Patreon, but we've got a bunch of comments. If you're desperate for me to answer something in the comments, super chat, always the way to go. Uh, we've got quite a few in here. Srikant, who he sent a super chat, thank you very much. What are your thoughts on a Red Bull league? Can franchises be persuaded to participate in one? Imagine a test match between Mumbai Indians and Sydney Sixers. I've said this before. I think it might end up replacing Test cricket, that kind of a system. I could certainly see how you would be able to get money for that easier. Uh, you could have more of the best players in the world. It would fit into modern life a lot better. Um, so, yeah, I, I, there's no doubt that it could happen. I thought, I think I might have mentioned this before, even the Saudi money, I, like, there's no point in going into T20 cricket. That's making money for the IPL unless they want to go into like the rest of the world and make a, Separate tournament beside the IPL that um, is massive, but they could certainly, if they wanted to, uh, get involved with Test cricket and fund that. Um, they could buy all the best Test cricketers, and you know, it would take them upwards of eight to fifteen minutes to buy most of the best Test cricketers in the world. So there's certainly uh, that is on offer. And I do think there's so much money in Red Bull cricket. It's also a different kind of audience in T20 cricket. You market it in a different way. You could separate it from Test cricket. So yeah, uh, I do think eventually that would happen. Uh well, sorry, I, I do think eventually someone will try that. Whether it'll be funded correctly or set up correctly, I don't know. Whether it'll be successful is down to all the little bits of it. But on the face of it, you could certainly have a franchise Red Bull League, which I would think would be a franchise Test League. Mannon says. <laughs> He didn't cough. That was me. Manon says, thoughts on Wemby? Uh, I saw highlights of the first game. Oh, this is Victor Wembignana If you haven't seen him, the French uh, basketball sensation, he's seven foot four, moves like a guard, um, doesn't particularly dribble, always like a guard, and is uh, skinnier than a very skinny thing. Tentpole? Let's go Temple. Look, I, He's obviously I think even in his first game when everyone was slamming him he still had like five blocks so on the defensive end I think Wemby's going to be really really good to start with I worry about the fact he can be moved very easily at the moment and he will be all the way through his first season we saw Bol bol still struggle at the NBA level just because people can move him a lot you know being tall and being fast and skillful was really good but if people can just push you away all the time it doesn't particularly help but I thought he was much better in the second game um and I wouldn't I wouldn't take two. I wouldn't be worried too much about what happened in the first game he's gonna struggle but he's seven foot four with a 19 foot four wingspan I may be slightly exaggerating that I think he's fantastic but it's just exciting to have someone like that I you know I remember I was in America when LeBron James was playing high school basketball I just remember the ex- excitement over there Wemby had a similar kind of excitement you know Kareem Abdul-Jabbar is probably the other one that makes sense when you have talent like this coming through even if it doesn't work it's captivating watching it and and following it and, and everything else it's one thing i think the american sports can be really good at is the hype of the players as they come through but also the excitement you you know of the next big thing even when we have a really good younger player in cricket sometimes we we either oh, it's got to prove himself they got to prove himself so. This play is really good at the age of 20 or 21. Can we not enjoy that? No, they've got to prove themselves more. So I do, I do like that about American sports, that at 15 and 16, uh, you know, you can follow a player for quite a long time. Of course, the other side of that is that probably many people's lives are ruined because they were never supposed to be um, in that position. Kyle says, what are Root and Williamson doing to play with soft hands? And can lesser players mimic it. And that's exactly like it's a natural ability, like bowling a heavy ball, uh, which we know relates to spin rate. Um, yeah, so it, I think getting the timing right and the way that you do soft hands correctly is, I mean, there's, there's a natural ability part of that, but getting it, putting it all together is not a particularly easy skill to do. Um, I mean, essentially what they're doing is as the ball is about to make contact, if they're not 100% sure that there is a avenue for them to be able to score runs they can loosen the grip on the bat i've never been able to do it so i'm not very good at cricket but i can do most things at, in cricket you know from wicket keeping to taking the new ball you know fielding in every position you know bowling off spin bowling leg spin all these different things i there's a, like a couple of things i can't do in cricket one of them is probably use soft hands and another one is bowl in swing uh, and I've tried both <laughs> and it doesn't, so I don't think it's as easy a thing to learn. It's also, when you are doing it, there are other things that come from it, but the best, I, it's not just Williamson and Root that do it. Dean Elgar does it a lot. Most of your better opening batters who come from New Zealand, England, maybe South Africa sort of do it naturally. It doesn't come, it's not something that you see as much in Australia. Um, or the West Indies, although Craig Brathwaite can have quite soft hands, but it's not as natural a thing in some of those cultures. So I think a lot of it also comes from the kind of pitches that that you come from. Like in Australia, even soft hands, chances are your edges are still going to carry a little bit more. Um, whereas even in South Africa where the pitches are just that little bit slower and just that little bit less springy at times, the ball may not carry as much. So I do think there's a part of that there. I think in, in Asian culture, we have seen players. I mean, obviously, driver was absolutely great. In it. in But in Asian culture, it's probably not as important as outside edges carrying to slips. Um, don't cause as many problems when you're growing up and then you go overseas. But yes, it is certainly something you can work at. I've never been around when a player has been trying to learn it. So I'm not particularly sure how you would coach it, uh, partly because I can't do it. <laughs> so with most things, I can at least visualize it Of this is how I would tell someone. Um, I probably just tell everyone to whack it. People should whack the ball more. Uh, Orin says, "Is it a fair statement to say that English red ball cricket has been consistently, systematically worse than Oz red ball cricket in the last forty years? Uh, given that uh, 2010 side was half produced." Oh, his question has dropped out there. Um, I'm, I'm not really, sh- I'm not sure if he's trying to say that some of them came from overseas uh, or developed overseas, if that's what he meant. Um, yeah, it, yeah, definitely. You have really since World War Two. You would argue that Australia had the better system. I still think Australia misses out on a lot of talent, especially in the country areas, because it doesn't spread its um, system as far and wide. And if you want to play professional cricket, you at a very young age have to move to a big city. You can't just commute on a weekend. You know, if you're living in country, New South Wales, or country, Western Australia, or wherever that may be you know, it's going to be nearly impossible for your family to commute into the big city enough for you to be able to play, which that probably isn't quite the same for some other places where the cricket is more spread out into smaller regional areas. Uh, You know, Tasmania is a perfect example of, you know, the North Island of Tasmania. You you can be a really good cricketer, but if you don't move down to Hobart at a youngish age, chances are that there's going to be issues for you as, as a cricketer. Um, and it's not particularly easy to, you know, if you're from Devonport or um, the other place where it rains all the time, over on the um, on the west uh, side of the the state. It's I don't even know how you'd get to Hobart regularly, right? It's not, it's just not an easy thing to do. So I think Australia has that problem, whereas in England you have the county county system kind of everywhere, and you have. Um, pathways and 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 you know leagues all around the country so i think that's probably the one advantage england cricket has the other one that had traditionally was money that didn't seem to bother the australian cricketers as much not that they you know they were the first ones to go to professional so it bothered them a little bit but it didn't seem to hold australian talent back from that perspective um the essentially shield cricket was so strong for a long time it was like playing test cricket which meant that by the time you got to test level, you really, really tested, especially more so in the old days when the pitches were a little bit more variable in Australia. Uh, you know, Adelaide Oval and you, know, um, the SCG. Then you, you, know, you sort of had the Gabba, even even early Hobart. You know, MCG again was different, and the Wackers, obviously the Wacker. Uh, but just that level of competition, even the second eleven cricket in Australia, you know, was incredibly strong. So yeah, I would say that. And then you've got the academy system came through there first, the professionalism, the way that Australian sport was moving in general. So I think there are a lot of things that helped Australian cricket that didn't help English cricket. Also, very basic thing is that shield cricket really is there for, to make test cricketers and counter cricket exists for counter cricket it was invented as its own competition and the international cricket came on top of that afterwards. Uh, you know, and that was there very briefly at the start of of um, shield cricket. But very quickly, shield cricket becomes the place to get the best cricket as possible in the Australian team. Keshe says, why Joffre Archer seems more difficult to face for batters if Mark Wood is quicker than him in the air? Well, it's not just about pace. If was just about pace, all the best bowls in the world would be 90 to 93 miles an hour, right? Um, there's so many other things. How you pick the bowler up, what the ball does off the pitch. Um, in Jofra's case, he's got like a whippy action, And so it feels like he's not going to bowl quite as quick as he is. And then the ball comes at you a little bit quicker. Jasper Boomer is probably a little bit like that as well. Uh, There's the height um, of Joffre Archer as well. And Joffre Archer has more skills than Mark Wood. Mark Wood is like a singular pace unit. And if if you look at Mark Wood, Anrik Nokia, and Joffre Archer, they can all probably bowl 95 miles an hour. The only one of those three who can still take wickets at 85 miles an hour is Joffre Archer. And then in the middle of that, you've got an unwritten or key who has a few skills and is always building on them, but it's not probably elite, meaning maybe a lot of those skills. And then you have Mark Wood, whose main skill is pace, although to be fair to him, he swung the ball the last test. But even when he did, he struggled to control it, whereas Geoff Archer can control it. He's more accurate than Mark Wood. Um, and that the wrist position whip that he gets through the ball means a little bit like Courtney Walsh, The balls seem to bounce up a little bit um, more steep than other bowlers. That's what the batters tell me anyway. Will says, why don't Ireland and Scotland combine West Indies style? Well, Ireland, Will, has already combined, of course, because Ireland is uh, the Republic of Ireland and Northern Ireland. But Boom, so they are the other West Indies already, which is one of my favourite facts when people say, the West Indies should be disbanded, there's no other teams like it and we still have the England and Wales cricket board. Um, and we also have uh, the Irish team. Um, I, do, I don't know how much you know about the uh, two cricket cultures, but they don't particularly like each other that much. I'd be shocked, shocked if we ever saw a situation where Ireland and Scotland combined. I don't know if we'll ever have another combination team, really, unless I'm missing something obvious that might come up one day. Um but yeah, I wouldn't have thought we will ever have another team. Maybe Pacifica, you know, sort of Fiji um, and some of the other islands maybe getting together. Um, we know Fiji have been strong at cricket before, you know, but perhaps if we got a few islands together there, you might get something else out of it. Um, but I, yeah, I think it would be a hard sell going ahead, but you never know. Cricket's weird. <laughs> uh, Juggling Geek says, MLB very successfully introduced pitch clocks to speed up baseball games this season. Could cricket do something similar to increase overrates in tests? I think we will eventually have a pitch clock, what we, we call it a bowl clock, delivery clock, in cricket. Uh, tests, T20, one day is, I don't know who will do it first. It might be a random league. There would have to be other reasons why they would do it. But Yeah. It, it, there was an interesting thing this, this week where Australia was saying Australia and England both want, if you bowl a team out within 80 overs, you can go as slow as you want. That's a bit of an oversimplification, But I think that was what they were saying in court, that, that is what they wanted. I think it's under 60 overs if you bowl the team out at the moment. You can go quite slow and not get deducted. But that doesn't take away from the fact that if you bought a ticket for that day, and your team has bowled out a team in 79 overs, and that's the only 79 overs you've gotten. You might be excited, but also still a little bit frustrated. It's not just about the bowling team. I think it's the most important thing at the moment. You know, there's DRS, there's concussions, there's batters asking for drinks, there's batters not being ready, there's a lot of gardening, all these sorts of things. Honestly, I think. If we had a pitch clock, we could also make the batters speed up a little bit. And then you could also have a minute break between uh, or whatever it may be, 45 seconds or a minute break between the overs, which also should be timed. Um, And we would just move the the game a lot quicker. I, I think it probably makes sense going ahead. I don't think cricket's right at the point where baseball is, though. Baseball was getting to the point where people didn't want to watch the game anymore. Everything felt so dragged out. And baseball was also struggling for an audience. Cricket has been growing. And so I don't think that you would be able to say it It definitely needs this. But one way or another, it's going to come in, right? Because it makes sense. And we've already talked about it. Even We talked about it in cricket even before baseball. So I'd be very surprised um, if we didn't do that. Uh, Satya says, in your video on Badri, I noticed Majib very close to him in all charts. He also bowls power play um, overs and uses finger spin tricks. Your opinion of him? Luke Majib's always been a very, very good bowler. I would say, I, I don't know if you're comparing him to Badri. He's very different to Badri. He's um, more like Tikshana, but I don't think he's as consistent with his line of length as Tikshana. I think he's a little bit less sure of what he's doing. I don't think he's, for someone who's very skillful, he's not always the most confident person. And I've seen him probably on more occasions than most spinners of his quality. Crumble's the wrong word. What's the right word? that he? You can get in his head in a way that you, I think he can score a rushing Khan and not get off his, not get in his head. And Samuel Badri was another one, and Ashwin is another one. Because I think with Majib, he still, even though he's older now, he still almost projects like a younger player sometimes. And tikshana seems to have just enough tricks that when the pitch is not spinning, he's still handy. Majib seems to be to me seems to me to be someone who when the spin when the pitch isn't giving him anything at all he's maybe more like a Mendes, where at that point he doesn't have a lot to fall back on he doesn't put much rotation on the ball he's not quite as sneaky with some of the things he does like tic is and so he becomes cannon fodder so i do think from that perspective on um that Majib is maybe slightly more limited. And I think that's why we haven't seen him as much at the top level. However, you know, one of the things that frustrates me about the IPL is there should be a deeper bench so that you can have, you know, players like Majib available to you at any time, bring them in for two or three games. I think that's where at the moment he would be perfect. But I think he would need to be better on flat surfaces and also better. I think he's very, very good when the ball is skidding on in the way that Badri is and Tikshana, to be fair, as well. I don't know if he's as good when the ball's not skidding on, so he probably needs a prominent seam and the ball to skid to be at his most effective. Which is fine because, as I said, that's still a really important job, and I think he's very, very good at. However, what I would say then is that my issue is: can he? Is he good enough to be a dead set certain opening bowler for you? And are those is that what you want? Very few teams at the top level probably want that. It's not something, you know, you'd rather have someone who can bowl one or two at the top when you need them and, you know, they're all there for in the middle um, on other days. And I wonder if Majib is quite good enough there. But, look, he's a fantastic talent and he's still, I mean, he's Afghanistan. We don't really know what his age is most probably, but he's still young. Um, and, you know, if you're a good spinner between the age of 18 and 24 or 25, there is a point at which your physical gifts don't go on the wane. And your mental game takes over. So I always think the best the best time for spinners really is that sort of where Ashram was maybe the last three years, right? Where your body's still doing more or less exactly what it's always done, but you're thinking about the game in a whole other way. Majib hasn't got anywhere near there. And even as he starts to mature, if he can pick up some of those other tricks and work out what to do on pitches that don't help his particular kind of bowling or or the new ball or whatever that may be, I think he could be uh, a fantastic option. Anyway, uh, thank you for that super chat. Oh, God, that I put up twice. I uh, thank you for that super chat, Satya. And thank you to everyone in the chat tonight. Uh, you know, really appreciate it. It's great to look down and see so many names. Like, who have we got in here? We've got Sam and EKG, um, uh, Hassan, you know, all these different people are in there. Uh, Umang, it m- makes a big difference um, seeing that. And obviously, the more comments that you put in, more likes all that sort of stuff helps the channel overall. So huge shout out to everyone there. Um, remember if you haven't gone and downloaded uh, Wicket Cricket Manager yet, my team's not going well at the moment. So maybe I shouldn't be bringing this up, but you should go and have a look at it. Also, I tweeted out my code if anyone wants to play against me. And I'm saying that basically because I think that will get me more money, which will help me uh, to play um, uh, to play uh, more games and, and get some better players in my team. Actually, my team is okay. Uh, all Things Cinema Vodka says, uh, loving Wicked Cricket, it's addictive. So everyone, most of my friends who have played it so far have said this. And I put a tweet up today and someone said, oh, you haven't said ad. And I was like, I'm not, like, this isn't an ad. I'm putting this tweet up because I need, more practice to play against other people um to learn you know what they're doing that I'm not doing and everything else uh, so I can become better but please if you support this podcast um please support the sponsors as well because uh, you know they're the reason that allow us to to more and more but that's the end of wagon wheel for now we will be back again next week before I try and do a couple of podcasts before the what's that the fourth ashes test starts so hopefully we will know what has happened between west indies india we will be doing coverage of West Indies India this week I don't want to promise anything yet because I'm not exactly sure what we're going to be doing but we would definitely be involved one way or another so please uh, keep tuning in and tomorrow we have a very very cool video coming out about Steve Smith Um, so check that out as well but thank you very much and I'll see you again next time on Wagon Wheel Thanks for listening. This podcast has an ad-free version via Patreon, where there are many other extras as well, including a Discord channel. There's a link to those in the show notes. Please review, subscribe, and tell all your friends about our show. Word of mouth is the best way of making our podcast grow. If we had a guest on, chances are their socials are in the show notes. Please support everyone who comes on this show. I am Jared Kimber, and this is my network. But we also have hosts and co-hosts like Bharat Sundarason and Bayram Kazi. This network is overseen by Nick McCorriston. Each episode is produced by Ishit Kuberka at Sound Potion Studio. The team from 42 help us out with the video side. Orijoti Senapai and Meera Akam, both producing podcasts, while Mukunda Bandredi is the head of our YouTube content.
0: Podcast Network.